and welcome to episode 197 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for a little bit of coverage of the Russian Grand Prix and then coverage of the Spanish Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau, and it's been a little while since you've heard from us, but we are back doing the thing and have plenty to talk about. We have quite an eventful uh, series of times, especially since the Russian Grand Prix, but we'll start there with the Russian GP, and of course all the drama there was at the start, and mostly involving one Daniel Kafiat, who was at the time driving for Red Bull Racing, and uh, had you know several collisions, in this case two uh, pretty big crashes, with Vettel, former driver for Red Bull Racing. And uh, that ended up a whole kind of you know, chain of events. Uh, to there's some discussion about how much that was related to uh, the later driver switching and all that, but um, definitely sort of set things in motion for some big changeups at STR and Red Bull. It's funny that you say Vettel is a former driver of Red Bull Racing because that's now something that Vettel and Kafiat have in common. Kafiat was demoted to the Toro Rosso team, and Max Verstappen was promoted to the Red Bull Racing team. Max Verstappen is now Daniel Ricciardo's teammate. And there's something about Red Bull and liking uh, to combine names. They combined Sebastians um, with Vettel and Buemi, and now they're combining the Daniels with, uh, with um, uh, well, <laughs> they're breaking that is what I'm trying to say. They uh, they had the Daniels and they broke that up. Now they have Daniel and Max. So uh, it is now Daniel uh, Ricardo with Max Verstappen. And uh, that is going to be what is the team structure for Spanish Grand Prix on. Daniel Cafiat is now paired with Carlos Sainz Jr. And that will be for Spanish Grand Prix on. Uh, the Russian Grand Prix was not great for Sebastian Vettel being hit twice. He made a point of talking of talking to Christian Horner about it and letting him know that he was unhappy. But, you know, aside from that fun drama, it was just yet another uh, perfect outing for Nico Rosberg. It was his fourth win in 2016 in a row. He scored 100 points. Vettel was never an issue, never challenged for the win, and just kind of, you know, added yet more ammunition to what was looking like a perfect season. But then they, the whole circus went back to Europe. Yeah, and the actual Russian Grand Prix, I would say, was not super dramatic, and that was part of why we decided to skip the, doing the podcast for that, is the race itself was like, okay, yeah, you know, it was damage recovery for Lewis Hamilton uh, to come second, uh, you know, bef- behind Rosberg, and that's good for him, but of course he would like to be first, but uh, starting from, you know, way off where he was, uh, that was not going to happen, because of course this time he had the same uh, power unit failure, uh, but this time in Q3, so he started 10th, um, but yeah, with... Uh, with Vettel out of it right at the beginning, it was not super dramatic. Uh, your boy Raikkonen was on the podium for third, uh, and on from there. I mean, I guess it, you know, with a couple guys out there, uh, it was good points for Fernando Alonso and so on. But you know, it was after the race, it was kind of like, yeah, okay, that was all right. Um, the first crash drama for uh, you know with, with uh, Kafiat was a big deal. Uh, but then after that, the race really settled down. It was not super super exciting. Um, then, a couple days later, when they started saying, okay, well, actually, there might be a switch, and I don't know exactly who reported this first, but uh, when they talked about the possibility of having, um, having not exactly get, Kafiat get fired, but at least 
you know, some kind of serious uh, repercussions. Uh, and then it turned out, okay, well, hey, Max, Max Verstappen, we're really excited about this guy. Uh, and then do this swap, which sounded a little bit crazy at first. And, I, you know, I guess still kind of does. But then that happened and that was announced. Okay, these guys are going to change. And it's, it's kind of weird because you don't see mid-season swaps very often. Of course, sometimes you'll see a driver lose his job for whatever reason and they bring in someone else, a reserve driver or whatever. Um, and in this case, you know, they are two distinct teams, of course, both backed by Red Bull, but with STR and the actual Red Bull team um, to have a seat ready for each driver at the other spot uh, was a bit a bit of a surprise. And then the big question was, oh, how is Max Verstappen going to do in the A-team car and go out and, and, and you know, how's, he, how's that going to pan out for him? And the answer basically is it couldn't have been better. <laughs> of course, aided by the uh, Mercedes uh, whole lap one schmazzle, uh, but for Max to carry on the race as he did and uh, hold off Raikkonen and just really just drive a really, really good, strong race. You, you can't beat it. And uh, he's the youngest ever race winner, and uh, it's very exciting. He's the youngest ever race winner by a good chunk, like over a year. And, well, gosh, even more than that. He, because there was, oh, he's going to be the youngest podium finish and stuff like that. But I do believe it was Sebastian Vettel that was the youngest race winner until uh, Max Verstappen took the crown. And I don't remember if Vettel was 20 or 21. It's possible he was still 19, but I don't believe so. I think he was, memory serves, 21 or so. And, you know, Max Verstappen's 18 years old and just absolutely drove like a veteran. There's no two ways around it. But what led to Max Verstappen winning the race was the most dramatic, stereotypical bad thing to happen <laughs> Mercedes, the dominant team in Formula One, their drivers are running 1-2, and in the very first corner of the Spanish Grand Prix, uh, the number two driver, Nico Rosberg, overtakes cleanly the number one driver, Lewis Hamilton. Then they uh, go through turn two clean, and then exiting turn three, turns out Nico was in a different engine mode, which limited the amount of power he had. So he wasn't at full power. Hamilton was. He exited out of turn three much more strongly than Nico Rosberg did and was gaining and going for a pass on the inside. Nico very quickly and very early started tracking towards the inside to defend. And the way everything worked out and the timing of it, Lewis Hamilton ended in the grass on the inside. He started sliding sideways. As he was sliding sideways, Nico was on the brakes for turn four. As a result, Hamilton collected Nico as he spun. Both of them slid straight across into the outside of turn four gravel traps. Day done for Mercedes. So they went from finishing 1-2 to 21-22 with a whole lot of discussions having to be had about who was at fault for what and why. This was not a happy team at Mercedes. Yeah, and thankfully, Rosberg has had such a such a lead in the championship that this doesn't put that in jeopardy. Um, and the bigger battle, even between Rosberg and the rest of the field, as if, if the season continues on as it has done so far, is really between Rosberg and Hamilton. And in that way, that didn't change at all because both of them got zero points. So it would have been a whole different story in terms of should there be penalties and things like that um, if say, if either one of them really had gone on, if they had crashed and, and Rosberg's, you know, car was okay and he was able to carry on and, and, you know, Hamilton had another DNF and, um, 
with uh, with with Rosberg going to collect full points, or if it went the other way, if Hamilton was able to go on and get victory and get 25 points with Rosberg crashed off in the gravel, then I think they would have had different things to answer for. But in this way, the way it all panned out, um, it's I think debatable on both sides as to was Nico overly aggressive, and I think yes, and was Hamilton potentially also opportunistic to uh, make the pass, try to make the pass where he did, and then stay in it when uh, Nico was was you know moving, moving his car and. You know, across the track and across the track and also a little bit down on power. Um, but the fact is it ended both of their races, so they had plenty of time to think about it. They both had to answer to the team and, and do it, but they sort of both already got a serious penalty in the form of uh, you don't get to finish this race and neither of you gets any points, so you don't have to wait till the next race. So I think the, the steward's decision came down as this is a racing incident. We don't need to apportion blame one way or the other. And I think their decision was probably made a little bit easier by the fact that neither driver carried on. Uh, so it wasn't like someone just did this for an advantage and said, oh, I'm just going to do this again next time because this worked out great. I mean, neither driver wants this outcome. Uh, they're definitely going to have a lot of internal meetings with their bosses. Uh, but I think that's the right way to, to, to handle it rather than say, uh, okay, they you know, they made the decisions that they made, and now we have to go back and apply some kind of penalty or a grid spot for the, you know, grid penalty for the next race or penalty points or whatever. Uh, I, think, I think that's probably the right call from the stewards. And the, I think, fan vote remains uh, undecided between uh, was was Hamilton or Rosberg more in the wrong about what went down? Um, I do come down on it's more Rosberg's fault myself. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because we had a post on Facebook about whose fault it was that the two ended up crashing out of the race. And uh, I think our fans agree with you. More people looked at Nico's move as over-aggressive blocking as opposed to Hamilton's over-aggressive attempts at passing. And if you don't mind, I'll read a couple. Tim Ecott said, It would have been a good defense move by Nico, except Lewis got his car partially alongside Nico's car, which means he is entitled to one car's width of track. Bruce Woodrow said, as a racer, I am disappointed that the FIA missed the opportunity to send a message about over-aggressive blocking. Actions like Rosberg's are common in F1, and they're dangerous. And Colin Sato was a little bit more even-handed, I would say. I can definitely agree that Nico was far too aggressive in his defense of the position. By the same token, Lewis could have lifted. I think it's also safe to say that different rules apply when you are racing your teammate. And I'm I'm a little bit more alongside uh, in Nico's defense. He was in he was in the lead and he was protecting the inside early on. And as Lewis was going, still going inside, uh, Nico definitely got more aggressive. But I feel, especially when you consider that these are teammates you're talking about, that Lewis was burdened with the task to make sure that any kind of pass was clean. And I feel like he could have been just a touch more careful and cautious and done more to say this. And also it was very clear that Nico was going way, way inside. If Lewis had snicked and gone back to the outside, he would have had a much more advantageous racing line and could have passed him on the exit of four. Now that being said, Nikki Lauda agrees with me. Nikki Lauda blamed Lewis for this accident. And maybe more sensibly, all this happened in a very short amount of time. So I think both drivers were 
making very quick decisions you know, and it just went wrong. And it was, I have to say, I mainly agree with the FIA. It was just a real bad stacking of tolerances that turned into what it turned into. And both drivers paid a very heavy penalty for each, each one's minor mistake. And that there doesn't need to be any kind of an, a penalty in addition to that. Now, the major, the the bigger issue here is, is this going to add further strain and further tension to an already uh, paper thin veneer of civility, but civility between Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton? Are these guys just going to openly and publicly hate each other for the rest of 2016? I don't think so because neither one of them was able to carry on, um, as the FIA decided with the stewards, and as a lot of people can can say, okay, yeah, it was it was a very aggressive blocking by Nico, but also maybe an interesting move from Hamilton. But either way, it all ended in a crash. So if it had gone differently, if 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 Nico was able to carry on and get get full points, and Hamilton was not, then I think Hamilton would have much more of a reason to really resent him. Um, of course. There's, you know, Hamilton in a way is running out of races over which to, to close this gap. But looking at another way, there's lots of racing to go. There's, you know, more more races this year than ever before. I'm really glad you mentioned that, actually, because, you know, there's five races down, 16 races to go. And if you look back, I think it was Nigel Mantles, was it the 92 season where he was uh, really dominant in the Williams? He had this brilliant uh, season. Or, you know what, I'll give you another example. Uh, 1990 with Honda, uh, McLaren Honda and Prost Senna, that championship was 16 races long. So basically now that we've completed five races, we have the 1990 championship in front of us, the entire championship. Right. And of course, uh, Lewis is at a disadvantage because Nico has 100 points, but it's still, I think there's plenty of other things that can happen. We don't know if the reliability concerns that Lewis has had are completely specific to Lewis's one car or one uh, MGUH or one power unit or whatever, um, if that's something that may strike Nico, uh, if, you know, that let alone the other just normal differences in pace where some guy, sometimes one guy happens to be faster than another, it does, still does seem like Lewis has ultimately the pace advantage. I mean, in terms of qualifying, um, Rosberg was, I don't want to say not even close, but, you know, a few tenths off is a pretty big deal uh, around a track like this, and the fact that Hamilton was able to put down these just really, really good laps and you know get that pole position, and then even in this case, uh, of course, he got passed uh, because maybe his start wasn't quite as good uh, by Rosberg, but then uh, did seem to have the pace. I mean, we don't have a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of race to judge that on, but Lewis did seem to have the pace to uh, to do well and you know catch up to Rosberg, pass him again, and uh, if he were able to carry on, uh, that you can imagine he would have been able to set up a sizable lead and. Uh, you know, carry on from there and and win the race. So I think it's uh, it's it sucks that both of them are out of the race, but in a way it's like, okay, that incident is over and done. There's no lingering effects from that in terms of a huge point swing one way or the other. So Lewis is basically back in the same situation as he was before the Spanish Grand Prix in terms of points. It's just one fewer race to do it, but like you say, still 16 races to go in the season, and uh, I think there's, there's going to be a chance for them to, to catch up and, uh, you know, win this thing on its merits. As it stands now, Nico Rosberg is still first in the Drivers' Championship with 100 points. Lewis Hamilton is now third in the championship with 57 points. There is a new second in the championship. That is Kimi Raikkonen, whose 
what was it, second place finish in the Spanish Grand Prix. That's right, second place finish in the Spanish Grand Prix. Gave him another 18 points. He is now 61 for the season. So it is two things I want to say about this. Kimi Raikkonen is not too old. There's more proof right there. He is uh, doing much better than he was last season. Uh, He is ahead of Sebastian Vettel, second in the championship instead of fourth. And before you even say, I know Vettel has had reliability luck with his Ferrari, but this time last year, Kimi had had some bad luck, and that was part of the situation of why he was behind Vettel. And two seasons ago, Raikkonen was woefully behind Fernando Alonso's, but now we can see with the improvements Ferrari has made and the closer parity there is between Vettel and Raikkonen versus uh, Alonso and Raikkonen that uh, Raikkonen's doing very well. So I want to give a quick shout out to Raikkonen for that. And getting back to Hamilton and Rosberg, yeah, there's still lots of racing to go and it'll be very interesting to see when that turning point is. I have just every confidence in the world that Hamilton will win races again this year. How it's going to turn around and how Nico reacts to that is going to be hugely fascinating to watch. And I'm I'm quite excited to see that. I mentioned Ferrari, but Ferrari was not the second fastest team even before. Oh, wait, no, I want to backtrack. One more thing about Hamilton. His qualifying lap in Q2 was incredible. You were talking about a couple tenths here and there. He was six tenths up on Nico Rosberg in Q2 qualifying. It was incredible. I just, I think it blew everyone away. But um, sorry, that was a little digression there. Red Bull. Red Bull was properly fast at the Spanish Grand Prix. Yeah, blocking out the second row of the grid behind the Mercedes uh, duo. But uh, uh, yeah, both ahead of the Ferraris. And, um, you know, honestly, so it wasn't a wet, wet qualifying or anything weird like that. It was just uh, on, the, on the pace of the cars and the drivers. And it already allowed the Red Bull team and certainly, you know, Dr. Marco and all that to feel good about putting Max in the, in the big car, you know, <laughs> in the Red Bull. Uh, because it just already said, okay, you know, he can get out there, he can qualify um, at least very, very close to Daniel Ricciardo. I think Ricardo was third, right? He ended up ahead of uh, Verstappen in qualifying, if I recall. But um, yes, in Q three, uh, Ricardo did pull out ahead of Verstappen. But even in Q one and two, I think Verstappen was looking even stronger than Ricardo, and that was all really good. But the fact that they were both ahead of the Ferraris uh, was, uh, you know, not not quite seen as a victory for them. But that's you know all, about all they could ask for. I don't think they were really in a lot of ways. It was a victory. I mean, the Red Bulls were three four on the grid, and the Ferraris were five six. Mercedes row one, Red Bull row two, Mercedes row three. Yeah, but what really impressed me the most was that once the Mercedes were out of the picture and then the race restarted and they did their thing, that Max wasn't just wasn't just about pace, but he really seemed to be driving in a clever way. And we know there's all these restrictions about the uh, about the radio transcripts and all that, or not transcripts, but about radio communication. Uh, the team can't tell him things like, "Oh, hey, it looks like Raikkonen is weak in in sector three, so if you can, you know, do your best to." Uh, to gain everything on sector three so that he doesn't have the DRS to pass you on the front straightaway. Like that, I, I can, as far as I can tell was something Max just figured out uh, and was able to parlay this. He had a, a pretty slim lead over Raikkonen for uh, most of the race. And it was, you know, Raikkonen was, was hitting DRS just about every lap and Verstappen was far enough ahead at the points that he needed to do it to maintain that, that advantage. And that to me was some of the, some of the best um, just 
performance you can see from a young driver to not only be able to fling the car around the track and get one really good lap out of it, but to really think about where is my strong, where is he strong, how can I maintain this advantage, even with the uh, the you know the artificial aids of, of DRS and all that, just really driving smart. And I don't know if it was his call or who the team or, or how exactly they figured out, you know, who's going to be on a two-stop strategy, who's going to be on a three-stop strategy, but that had to shake out for one or the other. And, uh, of course, he ended up that way. But it was, at the first, like, you know, we were excited to see that Max Verstappen had led the race and he became the youngest, ra- you know, youngest racer to ever lead an F1 Grand Prix. Uh, and then uh, as the race progressed and it's like, wait, he made any pit again. And Reikkonen's right there and he's still staying in front. Like, he could maybe actually win this thing. Like, it sort of became more and more real as the race went on. And, of course, that ended up be- becoming the case. So it was just super exciting to kind of see that unfold and see how much longer can he hold off Raikkonen. Like, clearly Kimi is really fast, and he's really, you know, a a strong and aggressive racer. Uh, He must be able to find a way around this kid, Max Verstappen, right? But no, uh, the the final margin of victory was 0.6 seconds Raikkonen was behind Max Verstappen, uh, which is just so impressive. You know, it's not that he had all this pace in hand in the car and was just able to drive away off into the sunset, but that he had to really keep fighting. Uh, keep defending against Kimi Raikkonen, who's obviously no slouch, even though he's old, and carry on with that and win after all that in his, you know, debut for Red Bull and as young as he is and so on. It's just, you know, you can't say enough good things about uh, his performance in Spain. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you can say enough, but you're right. It's it's massively impressive. I, the The drive that Verstappen put in reminded me of the drive that Alonso put in in I think, oh boy, was it the 2005 season? Was it uh, Fernando Alonso's first championship year where he had to keep Michael Schumacher behind him for a good 20 laps and did it, and everyone was massively impressed with Fernando Alonso, who at the time, (laughs) I do believe, was the youngest uh, world champion when it happened. It's amazing how quickly that figure was eclipsed by Vettel. But anyway... It was Verstappen's drive was massively impressive. I mean, Kiri, it's his debut race with the big team, quote unquote, with Red Bull Racing. And Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen are gifted these the powerhouse team taking themselves out of the race. And all of a sudden, they're in first and second and have... Uh, the Ferraris bearing down, barreling down on them hard, and I think very quickly they were split. It was Ricardo early in the race. It was Ricardo, followed by Vettel, followed by Verstappen, followed by Raikkonen. It was pitch strategy that ended up shaking up the order to the way it was. But the fact of the matter is, this 18-year-old kid, I guess technically an adult by American standards anyway, this 18-year-old guy goes from Toro Rosso to Red Bull, almost out-qualifies his highly regarded teammate, and the next day drives flawlessly under huge pressure and wins the race. It's the mental fortitude Verstappen displayed that really blows me away. I can't imagine the type of pressure you would feel, the type of pressure you would put on yourself as an 18-year-old in a Formula One car, and to then be hounded by Kimi Raikkonen, who's a world champion and twice his age, double his age, and still hold him off for as many laps as he did to uh, not be faced by the fact that his tires were, what, 30 laps old by the end or more, to not be faced by all these other things, lap traffic, whatever else. He didn't put a foot wrong. He didn't lock a tire. 
He didn't run wide. I mean, it was flawless. It was properly incredible. And there's a lot of questions now about where, like, basically how high can Max Verstappen go in his career? Because there's already been a lot of interest from top teams. He's arguably in one of the top three teams anyway. It seems like this could be really the start of a pretty stellar career. There's a lot of parallels to Sebastian Vettel, of course, and he's gone on with great success. Uh, And, you know, it's maybe a bit early to say anything about, you know, comparing to Schumacher or whatever. But, um, you know, somebody brought up the point on Twitter. I forget who it was, but uh, asking the question, could, uh, you know, you wonder if Max Verstappen will race against someone who hasn't yet been born as of today, you know, who's uh, where, you know, he could still be in the car in 18 years, 17 years, you know, uh, and and racing and someone who, you know, born this week uh, could grow up and become an F1 race driver and do that and uh, and race against him. And it's kind of wild to think about in those terms, but that's uh, kind of what's happened for Kimi Raikkonen, like you mentioned, you know, with, uh, that he's... Uh, you know, been doing this as his career for so long and uh, been able to, you know, he's still competitive and obviously racing wheel to wheel against this guy who, um, back when Reckoning started racing, uh, was, was, you know, a uh, tiny little baby or not even born, depending on uh, exactly the timeline. So it's, it's pretty wild to think about. So I'm excited to see how Verstappen's career goes from here. If Red Bull will be, you know, paying him enough to keep him, if all of a sudden he'll get a big offer from, uh, Mercedes, Ferrari, you know, who knows? Uh, and although it seems like at the point, at this point, he's not doing that bad in Red Bull uh, with that, that strong Tag Heuer engine pushing him along. So um, I guess this is a, probably also the first win for a Tag Heuer branded engine. Uh, you know, no one's talking about that record, but hey. Well, I, well, I'm not sure about that because uh, McLarens, I do believe at one point, were branded Tag Heuer powered. I don't oh, think... Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's not a record. There you go. Never mind. Well, but I do know, uh, if as long as my memory is serving, this is the very first win for a Dutchman. Uh, no, no Dutch man has won a Formula One Grand Prix before, so that's a first. It is obviously the first win for a Verstappen because Yoss, the boss, was in several Grands Prix, but he never won one of those, and so it is a a very big occasion, which. Brings us to a very sad pivot point. <laughs> I think, I think Kafia, it's kind of done. I mean, that's terrible for me to say, but you know, Kafia was on the podium a couple couple races ago, and now he gets demoted to the Toro Rosso team, gets handily outqualified and outraced by the also younger Carlos Sainz Jr. Carlos Sainz Jr. finished sixth. Daniel Kafiat finished 10th, and then, of course, Ricardo in 4th and Verstappen to win. So he was the worst of four drivers, and he was slower at all times throughout the Grand Prix. It's not looking good for him at all. I don't see him, frankly, surviving past 2016 in any Red Bull team. Yeah, and that the question, I think, I agree with that. Uh, the question is, will he make it to the end of 2016? I mean, one race, of course, is a pretty short time span to, to view someone. So I guess it'll be interesting to see how he compares to Carlos Sainz uh, in the coming few races. Uh, but yeah, if he doesn't perform, uh, or if he continues to have the same kind of attitude of sort of, oh yeah, I'm just a driver and I'm really fast and I don't care if I'm crashing into you and whatever. And it's like, well, he's already had this uh, career change uh, handed down to him. So if his attitude continues that I could see him being shown the door because I think there's plenty of drivers lining up that uh, could take part in an STR. And typically that team is all about the up and comers to be a stepping stone to the top tier team. And he already had taken that step and did okay with it. You know, it wasn't terrible, but 
Um, it doesn't take much to get replaced, obviously. Uh, and then I don't think Max Verstappen's going anywhere soon. Uh, I guess you know maybe if, if Verstappen gets hired off to someone else at the end of this year, uh, then maybe they'd put Kvyat back in the top car. But I really just don't see that relationship uh, being in a good spot right now. So I agree with you that uh, it seems like maybe it's sooner, maybe later, but uh, it's not. This isn't the beginning of something amazing for Kvyat so much as uh, some way of kind of winding it down. Um, maybe he ends up going off to another team and can readjust his state of mind and do something well. But uh, you know, it seems less and less likely as time goes by. Yeah, I agree, and. It's also fascinating the way this race broke down. I don't want Carlos Sainz Jr. to be forgotten about here. Max Verstappen, in terms of pure pace, was more often than not the quicker of the two between Carlos and Verstappen, between Carlos and Max. However, Carlos definitely kept him honest, and there were definitely some occasions where Carlos in my opinion, seemed to have the better uh, race strategy in his mind and was better at thinking big picture. And I don't want to fall into cliches, but he seemed more mature. He is older. And I thought it was kind of, it was debatable which was the better overall driver between Carlos and Max. My point is, I think Science Jr. is a very strong driver and in many ways deserves a move up sooner rather than later and what's his career trajectory going to be is it going to change because Max Verstappen was moved up and performed so well so quickly yeah the remainder of this year and into the next one should be pretty interesting to see because there's also of course been some talk of Daniel Ricciardo potentially making a move um, I don't know exactly what his contract status is but uh, maybe this whole strategy situation in Spain and maybe you know seeing uh, being being compared to his the meteoric rise of Max Verstappen I mean seeing how that unfolds over the next couple of months and uh, dozens of races uh, it could be interesting to see if he makes a move then that could be the step forward they bring Carlos Sainz up and uh, have him in the full Red Bull or who knows what every once in a while you know these things kind of go sideways and uh, or in Kafiat's case kind of backwards I, I agree that uh, Sainz is not to be overlooked and could potentially have a future I would sort of put him as next in line behind uh, Verstappen which is kind of where, where he's at right now you know they, they started together and here they are so the, the, I think the real linchpin in all this is does Verstappen get hired away does does Ferrari make him some crazy offer and he then replaces Raikkonen or something or or what you know and then at, at which point then does does Ricardo want to stay with Red Bull does Ricardo get hired away who knows but um, for now, it's still pretty early in this season to uh, to worry about that much of the silly season. But I think that's going to be the kind of thing we're going to look at midway through the year. You know, talk to us after Spa or whatever and see where things stand and who's looking promising for being in the Red Bull next year in the Toro Rosso. But then also, if any of those guys, if either the either Ricardo or Verstappen, uh, looks likely to get hired away and uh, you know carry on from there. So that that could be an interesting uh, step forward for signs if one of those guys uh, gets poached away by another team. And the other thing to keep an eye on is this relationship between uh, Rosberg and Hamilton and between them and the team. If either one of those guys gets so fed up with the situation one way or another uh, that they jump ship or retire or whatever, and then that, that could shake everything up. If all of a sudden there's an opening at Mercedes, um, you know, yeah, maybe they bring Pascal Verlein up to the top or whatever, but that could be a pretty tempting offer for just about anyone on the grid today to say, hey, do you want to drive the Mercedes next year? Because um, all signs point to the, uh, you know, their, their ability to make another good fast car and uh, even with some of the, the new engine regs that come in. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, I think more than anything, what this promises is that the silly season of 2016 will be plenty silly. There's going to be a lot of different ways to conspiracy theorize and have opinions on 
who should be where and why and who should go, uh, the elder statesmen of the sport and what might be the best course of action for them, so on and so forth. Um, now, there is one more Red Bull driver to talk about here a little bit, and that's Daniel Ricardo. Let's not forget that he was the one leading the Spanish Grand Prix on lap two and well into the first stint. It wasn't until pit stop started cycling through that he uh, at any point lost the lead of the race. And even then, as pits were cycling, he was looking to be the presumptive winner, except that Ricardo and Vettel turned out to be on a three-stop strategy, Raikkonen and Verstappen on a two-stop strategy. And Ricardo's not too pleased with some of the decisions the team made, it, it appears. No hate towards Max at all. He's proud of Max but not exactly happy with the Red Bull racing team. Yeah, which seems a little like sour grapes to me uh, because the the team talked about, you know, Christian Horner in an interview said, we didn't know which one was faster. And it looks like Ferrari was in exactly the same boat, having Vettel, you know, match that strategy that at the, at the time when these decisions were made, it wasn't clear, is a two-stop going to be faster or a three-stop? You know, will the tires hold on and what's the pace going to be and all that? So... The both teams, both Ferrari and Red Bull, made the, I think, fairly sensible decision to split the difference and have one guy in one and one guy in another and cover each other to uh, to do that. And in this case, it worked out, of course, that Max and Kimi were able to hold on with their tires and they were they were battling and they were gaining losing time to each other. But in the end, that was the better strategy. So it's a little, I think, looking back with hindsight to say, oh, it turns out my, you know, this this decision was slower. But, you know, if it had gone the other way, it's like, you know, who knows? But it, so I, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I guess if Vettel had gone on to be way far ahead of him, you know, of course, there was that puncture at the very end where Ricardo had to pit. So it, the end result was that Vettel had a big gap. But Vettel and Ricardo were essentially right neck and neck for a lot of the race. So it's not the uh, it's not that the strategy was this um, goofball thing and that you know the Red Bull team did something wrong. It wasn't a long pit stop or something like that. It was just kind of we made a call and you know, turned out the two-stopper was better. Sorry, you know, it's not, I don't think any kind of malicious thing. And and it sounds like Ricardo even said, he's like, oh, I've already had chats with the the people that, you know, need talking to or whatever. But it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of big concern there that we should be worried about. Oh man, they're all of a sudden, they're favoring Verstappen and this is a whole conspiracy and whatever. It's like, I don't think that's probably the case. And uh, I'm not sure what, uh, what Ricardo expects. I mean, next time, look look at your crystal ball harder and decide, okay, this this pit stop strategy is better for both of them. Exactly. They just glanced at it. That's not cool. That's not cool. Now, I, I listen, I agree with you largely, but I, I'm more sympathetic to him being upset because he was the one that did ultimately uh, put in the better qualifying. He was the one that had a very good race start, and he was the one that indeed was leading the race and holding off Sebastian Vettel for several laps and for many, many laps until Vettel got ahead of him in pit cycle. I can understand very much where his frustration would lie and am sympathetic to that point. But it is largely hindsight where you can say, yeah, you had two different race strategies and why didn't you give me the better one? (laughs) And it's like, well, okay, we didn't know at the time. It's like, well, why not? You should have known. And I think even Ricardo, even as he was saying, it was kind of like, yeah, I get it. But still, I'm frustrated about it. And I can understand why he would feel that way. And I think considering what has happened the last couple Grands Prix, I'm very keen to keep a close eye on how Ricardo and Verstappen get on because Verstappen is 
extremely mature for his age in many respects at least. And Ricardo is the most likable driver we've seen in a generation. He's such a great and nice guy. How are those two going to get along and handle, you know, being teammates with real parity? You know, Ricardo had an upper hand on Fiat. There was no doubt about that. But that's not the case anymore. So that's something that we keep a close eye. Oh, and I want to make one point about Verstappen's maturity. Uh, Verstappen got out of the car. He'd won the race. He was very excited. And Helmut Marco came up to to him, and Verstappen held out his hand to shake Helmut Marco's hands, Tiger Marco's hands. And Marco's like, "Go, come in for the real thing. Give me a hug." That was a great moment. Sometimes you go for the handshake, you get the man hug. It's just you never know what you're going to get. Should we call that the mug? No, that's no. <laughs> just a hug. What? What I do? It's shorter. It's you know shorter, fewer syllables. We got to get things done. We got to we got to move on to the next thing. Quick mug and I'm out. Speaking of moving on to the next thing, I want to talk about predictions for a minute. Since we didn't talk about uh, the Russian Grand Prix, we'll cover that quickly. End result was Rosberg. Rosberg. We did have 14 folks predict that correctly for zero points. So well done to Damien, the statistical model, and Nico Rosberg, and 13 humans. You and I will see this. So I am, I got 10 points with my Hamilton Hamilton. If you recall, I put all of my eggs in Hamilton's basket. And what did he give me? He gave me 10 points. So that was a thing. You, sir, had Hamilton Raikkonen, which ended up 11 points. So not too bad. Uh, but there was yeah, a lot of other people with, with Hamilton Hamilton. Honorable mention to Rio Harianto predicting himself getting 41 points. But for the Spanish Grand Prix. Yes, let's talk about that one. <laughs> We've got, yes, one uh, Mr. Robin Warner uh, tied with Sandeep Paul with Hamilton Raikkonen predictions for one point. So no one predicted Hamilton Verstappen. Um, no no big surprise there, but well done to you, sir, and to Sandeep Paul for tying for first place with a Hamilton Raikkonen prediction. Good for one point. Uh, we had a few people, four people predicting Hamilton for Paul and Vettel for the win for two points. Max Verstappen himself uh, was the only one predicting Verstappen Verstappen. Um, it looks like the only Verstappen prediction all the way through. So, um, you know... Awesome job for Max to getting three, getting three points. Pretty darn good. Yeah, and Raikkonen, Raikkonen netted five points for Kimi Raikkonen and Daniel Ricciardo. They tied each other. So a lot of a lot of good there. And Mr. Will Carver with his button-button prediction, first of all, tying Jensen Button, but doing better than many, many folks, including a Jim Lau and a Damien, beating both a Rosberg-Rosberg prediction and a Hamilton-Hamilton prediction. Yes, lots of people got hosed, of course, with the uh, Mercedes retirements uh, on the very beginning of the race. So in the overall standings, Nico Rosberg himself is still number one with 23 points. Uh, now all by himself, there are, looks like, what, four people tied for second place. So shout out to Scott Christie, James Payne, Rich Danby, and Henry Keyes, who all have 24 points. Um, I am back there with 40 points. My Hamilton basket has been getting lots of points in it. I am a few points ahead of Damien, though. Damien has 43 points with uh, his simple statistical prediction. Uh, That'll be interesting because, of course, Damien now thinks that Hamilton will be on pole and that Verstappen will win in Monaco, and that's an interesting prediction for once. Uh, You, sir, are in 46th place with 77 points. Which is a huge improvement over Russia. Let's get that part clear. (laughs) I I was in, I don't know, 62nd or something, uh, as I remember. So it was a big jump for me. And I am now on page two of the statistics. That's also a jump. Yeah, you moved up six spots from uh, from the results of the Spanish Grand Prix. So well done to you, sir. Um, I probably moved back uh, down one, 
Damien down by two. So oh, hey, I yeah, I'm probably thinking you know Russia was okay, but then China after the Chinese Grand Prix, I was not nearly as in as good a shape. So I conflated there Russia and it. Spain. My bad. So it goes. But uh, that raises the question, though, what to show for uh, Monaco? Ooh, Monaco. Well, Monaco is a tight race where engine power means a little bit less and chassis mechanical grip and chassis aero efficiency become premium, premium things. I think I'm ready to jump on the Red Bull train. How about that? And I'm going to do so by predicting Daniel Ricciardo on pole and Daniel Ricciardo this time not get quote-unquote hosed by strategy and win the race. Daniel Ricciardo is my man. Plus, he's so likable. How can you not go for a guy that's so likable in Monaco? That is a good question, but the answer is Mercedes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, though, the one time I switch away from Mercedes, they're going to they're gonna sweep the floor, and it's going to be amazing. Uh, the other big question, really, that a lot of people have been talking about is McLaren-Honda, because it seems like the straights are kind of the only deficiency there that uh, they may do really well in uh, Monaco. I don't think that's going to be for a win, though, because I think the uh, Mercedes will be back and going strong. So then the question is, which Mercedes? And I don't know. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> it, seems, it seems lame to uh, it seems lame to just keep Hamilton Hamilton as a prediction. It seems like I'm sticking my head in the mud and just not wanting to acknowledge the, uh, the phenomenal driving that Nico Rosberg has been doing. Uh, but I don't know. I think uh, I think Hamilton's gonna gonna do really really well at Monaco and uh, and and finally get that uh, get that victory for 2016. So as it turns out, I'm gonna leave my prediction where it is. With all my eggs are gonna continue to be in Hamilton's basket. And uh, we're just gonna we're gonna ride that Hamilton train and see where it gets off. <laughs> well, I think that Hamilton uh, appreciates having a companion voting uh, Hamilton on pole and Hamilton to win the race, so he will appreciate that. So it's going to be the Monaco Grand Prix that's the next race, but that is not the only thing going on because that is also the 100th running of the Indianapolis 500. That is a very big deal here in the U.S. of A. And we are going to see a few former Formula One drivers competing in that race, not least of which is uh, young American Alexander Rossi, who finished uh, 10th place in the Grand Prix of Indianapolis, which is a modified version of the Formula One race that was held there. And Alexander Rossi posted the fastest lap of that race. So he's getting more comfortable in the IndyCar, and he's doing well. We're also going to see folks like Juan Pablo Montoya and Takuma Sato go around for that race. And Juan Pablo Montoya is the defending Indianapolis 500 winner. So it's a big, busy racing day for you and I, sir. Yes, Memorial Day weekend and uh, that whole all the racing that goes on there is always an exciting time. And I am very much looking forward to Monaco. And uh, I'm curious to see how Verstappen uh, handles being in the Red Bull at one of the trickier tracks. And uh, I imagine he's going to do well. But uh, yeah, to see how that rivalry goes with Ricardo, and then of course to see you know what shape the Mercedes guys are in, if they are at each other's throats or just calm and cool or something in between. So very much looking forward to it as always, and uh, it's always always a pleasure doing the podcast. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Uh, you can visit funwithcars.com for links to all the things we talk about in the show, various articles and things that we reference. There is also links to the Facebook page and the predictions app they're on, and our Twitter feed. Uh, or if you're an email kind of person, you can email feedback at funwithcars.com to share your thoughts, suggestions, ideas, recipes, comments, whatever. We always uh, appreciate hearing from our listeners. 
So thank you, as always, for listening. I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner with, I want to leave you with a new page we have on Fun With Cars. It is the statistics page. There is a lovely statistic that I'm looking at right now. Nico Rosberg has now averaged 20 points a race, no longer averaging the perfect possible 25 points a race. The second guy in the championship, Kimi Raikkonen, is averaging 12.2 points a race. Fascinating stuff. I'm Robin Warner. You'll hear from us again in Monaco.